HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Comté-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. This is Elena Santagade, host of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I've been a part of the HRN community for the past year, and I'm constantly inspired by the incredible voices of our network. Each week, I record my show in the HRN studio made from two recycled shipping containers because I'm excited to bring you, our listeners, the most important stories from the world of cheese. All of us here at HRN make food radio because we love it. This year, HRN is celebrating its 10th anniversary, but we need your support to keep food radio going strong for the next decade. Join the HRN community today by becoming a member. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate right now. You can even show your cheese love by selecting Cutting the Curd in the designation drop-down menu. Thanks for listening to HRN. Welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Elena Santigade, and from the sound of it, you can probably tell I'm not in our normal studio at Roberta's in Brooklyn. This week, I'm recording from the Javits Center in Manhattan, the site of the 2019 Summer Fancy Food Show. I'm spending the day at the Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin booth with 10 different cheesemakers and tons, literally tons, of Wisconsin cheese. On today's show, I'll be chatting briefly with a variety of cheese people here at the booth. From cheesemakers to buyers and everyone else in between, this is one of the yearly opportunities in the industry where everyone convenes in one place to do business, launch and discover new products, and trade ideas and stories. I'm excited to capture a bit of what this industry show is all about. So, here goes. Hi, I am Lisa from Wisconsin Aging and Grading Cheese, Pecona, Wisconsin. Awesome. So, Lisa, tell us a little bit about what you all are doing at Wisconsin Aging and Grading, because it doesn't sound like the name of a cheesemaker, but you have cheese here at the Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin booth at the show. So uh, let's let's hear more about what you guys are doing in the cheesemaking process. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to explain what we do. Um, I truly believe 
that there is a science to cheese. One, the science of making the cheese, and the second is aging the cheese. And really, this company focuses on aging the cheese. We've been around for 19 years, and we're getting pretty good at it. Um, we have six licensed graders on staff, and all they do day in and day out is age cheese. Um, they're making sure the cheeses taste the way we want them to, that they're balanced in flavor and texture, and that we can age and enjoy them for a long time. Very cool. So our listeners are probably familiar with the like affinure, affinage. We we recently did a cheese making elements show all about affinage. So they they if they hadn't known about it, they maybe do now. Listeners, if you want to check out that show on affinage, look in the archives. It's there. But I'm curious to hear more about your group of graders. So this group of six people, can you um, walk us through a little bit like what their daily life is like on the job? Absolutely. So. Um, we would be considered the affineur. Um, we age cheese. We have two Wisconsin makers make our cheese. We take the cheese fresh and we start aging. From day one, this cheese is monitored. It's tasted at least two to three times a year. And depending on where the cheese is, we put it in different categories. And now I'm here at the Reynolds booth with Patrick and Colleen. Um, let's hear from Patrick first. Tell me a little bit about Reynolds Cheese. Well, Reynolds Cheese is a family-owned, family-made, we're third generation. I've been with the company for a little over a year, and I do done about 300 demos. And just the, uh, the reception I get when I do demos, when I say I'm from Reynolds, people's faces just light up hmm. from Door County because. About half the people I do demos with in the various retail stores outside Milwaukee, um, they've been there either from childhood or they have great childhood memories or they've been to our store. When people think of cheese, it just brings, it's happy memories. And yeah. That's, so it's just fantastic. I, I, yeah, that's what it's all about, right? It's like, it's just like such a sentimental product and, and one that keeps changing too. So Colleen, what are you doing at Renards these days? So I'm the person that schedules the demos that people like Patrick do in the various locations. Uh, we have uh, Green Bay, Madison, and Milwaukee, as well as in our own store. Oh, right, and in your own store, too. And and so very Wisconsin-focused. You guys are kind of like a hometown crew here. We are. How, how much, uh, tell us a little bit about what cheeses Renards is making and a little bit about, like, you know, the... The size, the operation, um, it's, not a, it's not a cheese name that I think is everywhere, which is exciting for me because we can talk about it and learn about it here on air. That's true. And actually, they are a um, third-generation family-owned business. And with that, it's small batches of cheese that are made artisan-type cheeses. So the people who know us know us from those wonderful flavors that they've had. But probably curds and string cheese are the first two that when you say Renard's cheese, that's what they think of because that's probably the first memory people had as children. Mm -hmm. But we have families that come in to visit us that have been coming back for years and years and years. And we do really have a strong reputation with people and they like the fact that it's a family owned and they know what they're going to get when they come try our cheese. You think of string cheese and, and at least to my mind, I don't always think, oh, small family owned cheesemaker. So it's really fun to think of a product like that and, and think of 
you know, the, the people, the small group of um, people making it. I personally have to say I love the whips, yes. your cheese whips, which, listeners, if you haven't tried the Reynolds cheese whips, they're, it's like string cheese but slim. And texturally, they're, like, so extra fun. Something to check out. And now I'm here with Sarah Hill from Hook's Cheese Company. Hi, Sarah. Hello. How are you? I'm great. So tell us, now I think Hooks, I mean, as a Wisconsin person, I feel like Hooks is definitely a family name. And I think I think it's true beyond Wisconsin, too. But for our listeners who are maybe more farther flung, what is Hooks cheese? What, what types of cheeses are you focusing most on at Hooks? Well, Tony and Julie Hooks started making cheese about 40 years ago. And back then in Wisconsin, that's what everybody made was cheddar. But as they realized that the market was growing and that the marketing board was saying, you know, you guys, you got to make other things than just cheddar. So uh, Tony and Julie were very creative. They started making, uh, they, first of all, they started realizing that they needed to age cheddar much longer. So we aged to 15 years on a regular basis. And a bit longer uh, now and then, is yes. true? Every four years you release a 20-year-old. So in 2020, there will be some 20-year-old available. Oh my gosh, I have to check it out. Exactly. Uh, Julie actually was first woman to win the World Cheese Award for her Colby in 1982. Huh. So that really put them on the map. Then they started using all three milks, sheep, goat, and cow, making some incredible mixed milk cheeses. And probably our most beautiful line is our blues. We make eight amazing blue cheeses. We use all three milks. We make our mixed milk, our new calf to be kidding, which won first place at American Cheese Society last year. Is our youngest is six months old, and most of the other blues are aged a year. And no one else in the industry does that. Time is gold here. Absolutely. At Hooks. <laughs> I, I said to Tony, why don't you just get that out of that cooler and get sell it? He goes, hey. It wouldn't be tasting like that if we took it out of the cooler any earlier. Such a good point. Are you finding that there's any one cheese that every that people at the show are gravitating to more than others today? Um, well, everyone always is very excited to try the tenure, but they're very intrigued by our mixed milk cheese, our triple play extra innings. With all three milks, three different cultures, aged for over 14 months, and it has such an amazing, savory uh, flavor. They'll try it, they'll walk away, and they'll come back and go, what was that cheese? <laughs> You're like, i got to cut more pieces of that That's one. right. We have some unusual cheeses that are, um, you know, that not everyone carries, so it's kind of fun. And also, I always think of uh, Tony and Julie as being at the farmer's market themselves. Oh, are they okay. still going to the oh, Madison yes. farmer's market every yes, weekend? Yes, Julie has pretty much retired from the plant. But again, everyone in our plant is family, which is so cool. There's only seven of them. They're the hardest working people I know. But Julie and Tony, I think it's part of their social life to be at the Madison uh, Dane County Farmer's Market every Saturday. They get there at like 6 o'clock in the morning, even earlier. And it's just uh, they're, they're packed from the time they get there. Uh, and that's really what got hooks uh, on the map because they had such a following down at the market. So it's been really fun for me to get the cheese from, you know, out there from coast to coast. Now I'm here with Mary Bess Mikulitz of Farmhouse Kitchens and Pasture Pride here at the Wisconsin booth. Mary Bess, let's hear a little bit about what each of these brands does in the world of Wisconsin dairy. Sure. Well, we tend to focus on small artisan projects. 
small families, small farms, that sort of thing. So the farmhouse kitchen's butter that we brought here is made in two different facilities, two different creameries. The solid is made in a sixth generation creamery. Uh, two sisters still run it from the original family. Wow, sixth generation. I mean, I feel yeah. like we're, I toss around like third and fourth generation <laughs> a lot. I think this is the yeah. first time I'm saying the word sixth generation yeah. in reference to an American cheesemaking right. tradition. That's incredible. It's, it's astounding, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the creamery opened originally just after the Civil War, and the sisters, two sisters from the original family are still running it. Um, they're still using a single churn, a single vat churn, which is also somewhat unheard of. Um, the idea there is fill the churn with cream, churn it, empty it, and pack it essentially by hand. They don't use a lot of equipment. The packaged product looks very hand-rolled right. and very, like, charming in that way. Right. Also, it tastes crazy I know. good. I know. It's the best <laughs> butter I've ever eaten. The, the hand-rolled butter that we're showing today is made in a different creamery. It's ah. a fourth-generation creamery in a village near where I grew up. So I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, mm -hmm. and this... Butter's made in Zaka, Wisconsin, which is near Bondwell, which is near Green Bay. So what we like about these two butters is that they're not pumped or extruded. They're made in small churns, or the churn is opened and the butter's pulled out and hand-packed and hand-rolled. So you don't get this over-extruded, overworked butter mouthfeel. You get a fresh, lovely, silky, dense... Uh, mouthfeel with amazing meltability. So the hand-rolled butter is actually, it's likely that that was the butter that I ate when I was a little girl. Because, amazing. Yeah. That, and that's, you know, that just makes, that for me, that's just icing on the cake because right. when I taste something and then it has such a beautiful link to my past when food was still traditional and good, uh, it just makes me want to work all that much harder <laughs> to promote it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So that's the farmhouse kitchen side of the business. And what's going on with Pasture Pride? Sure. So Pasture Pride is a company, it's a brand and a company that's located in Cashton, Wisconsin. Uh, and the milk that's used to make the cheeses that we brought here today come from, comes from an Amish dairy cooperative in Vernon County uh, and a little bit of Greene County. 350 Amish dairy farmers. The average herd size is 12. Wow, that's astounding. That is so small. Right, so I told you I like to work with small yeah. producers, and that's who we support. So all of those animals, the average herd size is 12, and all those animals get out of the barn if the weather's good and into pasture, uh, and all of the cows are hand-milked. Wow. So we're still using old-fashioned milk cans. That's on the farm. We're still spring-cooling the old-fashioned way. Uh, the milk trucks that come to the farm every day to pick up the milk are not those big stainless steel tankers mm. you see. To me, they look like pizza trucks. They're square and they've got shelves in them because those guys that are picking that milk up are hoisting wow. cans up on shelves. Wow, that's incredible. And I was excited to see the bread cheese is here and I tasted a warm piece. One of my favorites. Mm, that Usto is so good. Yeah, my favorite is the Chipotle. Mm. If you get started on it, you'll be eating it all day. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a finished tradition, but we make it in Wisconsin at the plant and we put different ingredients into it. Um, peppers, garlic, bacon, that kind of thing. You warm it up. Yeah. Yeah, we're hoping to... We're hoping to make it the national tailgating cheese. That's <laughs> I love my job. It. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> Justo bread cheese uh, from Pasture Pride is the national tailgating cheese. <laughs> 
done. And now I'm here with Chris Gentine of Deer Creek. Chris, welcome back to Cutting the Curd. How you doing? Good to see you. You too. Now, I, I, I see you've got a coffee. You've just sort of landed here at the show. But your team has an amazing setup. We've got a bunch of Deer Creek cheeses with the incredible labels done by your daughter, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. My and my wife redid the kind of merchandising, so we keep it family. Awesome family-run spot here. Do you have any new cheeses, new hot-rotted cheeses? Yeah, show right, here? exactly. We do. We've got uh, one that we've been working on for a while, and it kind of came on a whim because I like I like bourbon. Always have, maybe sometimes too much. <laughs> and uh, we're doing a, a, a knockoff for um, cured in Boulder, a one-off deal, and we were soaking some stag in Breckenridge. And I'm like, I went to school in Colorado, but I'm not, I don't live there. So mm -hmm. I tried to find a Wisconsin uh, bourbon I can use. And I went and discovered J. Henry bourbon whiskey, which is a great, a great story in itself. And you can check them out. Um, Made in Wisconsin. In Dane, yeah. Just north of Madison. So he's a fourth generation seed corn guy. His grandpa worked at the University of Wisconsin <laughs> to create a, a, a really unique red corn. And... Um, and he was driving back from the Derby and looked at, after about 45 minutes of silence, he looked at his wife and she said, I'm going to make some bourbon. <laughs> so, you got to love a guy like that. It, she kind of was like, uh, right attitude, wrong latitude, but you go ahead, honey. So he did the first hundred barrels himself. And it, the cool part that I like about it, because it reflects kind of the, the stag, is that um, where we're curing that in that vantage wrap, wax daisy in the wood box curing. And it's cycling through those Wisconsin summers and winters, even though we're in a more commercial warehouse, you still have a lot of humidity and, and dry fluctuations in the temperatures. Mm -hmm. And Joe's curing his bourbon in a rickhouse that is totally exposed to the, to the elements. 110 high on occasion, you know, we don't get them a lot, but the possibilities there, minus 55 low, you know, that's a big swing. So those end angels and devils kind of do their thing. You get a little bit of that when you look at, at what we do with the stag. So, and taking the stag, we you know we strip we strip the bandage and the wax off, and then we get a give it a four month bath in Jay Henry, which who wouldn't like that? Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and pickle me next. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so it's um it's nice and you, know, you can eat, it's a it's a great cheese just because you get that ruggedness of the of the bourbon and, and you get the warmth of the bourbon that comes through. It's not overpowering because anything we do, you know, when we, when we do stuff with booze, we always call them Beer Creek Spirits. Mm. Um, so if it's, you know, whether it's Rattlesnake or Moon Rabbit and, and when we're adding that, that alcohol or the poor or wine or whatever we're doing, um, you want to have them have a dimension. You want the cheese to be there. Then you really want that kind of acceleration of, of the liqueur to come on the back end and be part of the, the finish of the cheese and complement it very much. So Right, and yeah. hold the whole thing in balance. Yeah, right. absolutely. So it's a good one with chocolate and kind of fun. And yeah. It's decadent a little bit. And I'm always on a mission, too, if it's a chef. I'm always on a mission, chefs, please. Panna cotta. I know it's easy to make, but let's do some cheese pours, man. Because, <laughs> so we're trying to give you some stuff to yeah, use. Yeah, some know? stuff to work do with. Do a bourbon pour, a little bit of sea salt chocolate, and a little bit of the night. We call it the night walker because the possums are creeping. The, the label my daughter drew is a possum creeping through the red cornfield. So. <laughs> Amazing. I love yeah. it. It's time for a quick break. We'll be back in a moment with more from the dairy farmers of Wisconsin. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. 
Comté is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Comté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Comté. Comté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Comté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Comté is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Comté is unique. Learn more about Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Comté-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm Elena Santigade, and here's the second half of my interviews with different Wisconsin cheesemakers at the Summer Fancy Food Show. And now I'm here with J.P. Longseth of Old World Creamery. Hi, J.P. Hello. So Old World Creamery is a butter factory out of Sheboygan, Wisconsin. It's owned by a gentleman by the name of Steve Knauss. Uh, Steve Knauss is also part of the Knauss family of businesses. They uh, run Wyawiga Cheese, uh, and they also run Scott's of Wisconsin. Both of those are out of Sun Prairie. So in addition to the butter, we also have several products that are made at the Scott's facility, including our deli-made cheese balls and our all-natural port wine sharp and Swiss almond spread. So is the spread sort of like a cold pack, like classic Wisconsin spread made with a, as a cheddar base, or what's the cheese in there? Sure. Um, so, yes and no. Um, so we do run both processed as well as all natural cold pack spreads. Um, cheddar is definitely one of our main components uh, or one of our main ingredients. But we also use Havarti cheese. We use buttercas. We use Asiago. We use Havarti. So. We actually have a wide variety of specialty cheeses that we're uh, taking advantage of the different textures and the different flavors that they bring forth for certain varieties of products that we're making. Now, I want to also ask a little bit more about these cheese balls. <laughs> and I heard that one of the cheese balls won an award. Yep. So tell us, what is the cheese ball that has recently been decorated? All right, so cheese balls are actually really in vogue. So they're a very popular item. Um, but a lot of people are actually making cheese balls on their own in their house. Yeah, that's like what I would think maybe. I've seen the odd recipe here or there, and I, I've never attempted it myself. So um, the Deli Made Fresh Cheese Ball Program, what we do is we actually create unique varieties of cheese ball mix and let the stores create them in the deli with their own toppings. So it gives you a much wider variety of what kind of topping you can use. The types of cheeses we use with this program are the type of flavors we have. One is dessert. We won first place at the Wisconsin State Fair contest. Uh, so we're very proud of that. And wow. Wait, wait a minute. First place at the Wisconsin State Fair for one of the dessert cheese balls. Amazing. What flavor won? Um, it was actually just the plain dessert by itself. Now, what you do with the dessert flavor is you can add your own uh, topping. So we've got two two um, recipes that we're featuring here today. 
we've got our tropical, which is made with a dessert base along with pineapple and coconut, on top with a cherry. Wow. We've also, um, the other one is a strawberry cheesecake, which is actually made with strawberries and rolled in graham crackers. <laughs> and what is the dessert base exactly? It's made with a very mild Havarti cheese and just a little bit of sugar. Mm, so you get that like buttery creaminess with just that little sweetness. Wow. Well, that's exciting. I am now going to go taste this famous award-winning dessert cheese ball. I'm excited by it. Always good to try new things at the Fancy Food Show. I'm here now with Debbie Crave of Crave Brothers Farmstead Cheese. I know the Crave Brothers mozzarella most, but Debbie, will you tell our listeners a little bit about what types of cheeses you guys are making at Crave Brothers these days and how you're working in the company? Obviously, based on your last name, I assume family-run company. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Crave Brothers is about family, farmstead, and green energy. That's our three big things that uh, we are known for. We make an award-winning fresh mozzarella and first in the world uh, cheese competition last year with our marinated fresh mozzarella, which is an awesome appetizer in a cup of cheese. Then we're known too for a really wonderful sweet cream mascarpone. We have hours old milk that comes from the farm for uh, our cheeses, so you can really get that fresh milk, fresh sweet cream flavor in our cheeses and our mascarpone. Then we make cheese curds and farmer's rope string cheese, a part skim mozzarella cheese. So those are our four main cheeses. Tell me a little bit about that third component of what you guys are doing at Crave Brothers, the green energy side of things. What exactly does that mean and is that a newer thing that you're doing with the company? Sure, thanks. We do like to promote this green story or, or our sustainable story. We have a special logo on our packaging that says produced with renewable energy because we take our cow's waste and we process it in what's called a manure digester or a biodigester. And from that process, we end up producing electricity. We make enough electricity to power our farm, our cheese factory, and over 300 area homes, which is just an awesome, sustainable story. And so in terms of like how a dairy business can impact the community, that's it's like this whole new way that you could do it, aside from making and selling incredible products. So that's it. Really incredible. It's it's great. We're, we're really proud of that, and we promote it through our, that green energy logo. We also, from the fibers of the biodigester, produce bedding for our cows, and we end up with the heat from the whole process, heating some buildings on our farm. So it's really a full circle, great story that we love to tell our customers, and it's one of our trademarks. When did you start using the biodigester and, and start? Um, you're thinking of this green energy as a pillar of, of what you're doing at the company and what was the reasoning when you first started to do it? I know on our farmstead way back in 2007 we were looking at some upgrades and my, my family has always tried to be responsible and do things that make sense using science and good research and we said hey we have manure from our cows how can we um, 
take this to the next level, we were lucky to partner with a local energy company to start the whole process of building a digester. It's not an easy process, and um, it's got a lot of uh, technical background to it, but it's it just took you know some know-how, some networking, and the fortitude and family support to make some changes to do what's right, what's responsible for the future, and, and what customers are, are interested in knowing about. People say, oh, I want the story behind my cheese, and what, what do you really do, you know, what's your family history, and we're, we're a family farm, we do milk cows, and we do raise corn and alfalfa for our cows to eat, so, you know, this part of the business, the green energy, taking that waste and processing it further is a trend that I think you'll continue to see grow in, in the whole dairy industry. Well, I definitely hope so. All right. Now I'm here with Erin Clancy of Prairie Farms. Uh, or I should say, thank you for having me. And you're a part of this Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin booth here. You know, it's kind of rad. It's really cool. <laughs> There's like a little world here. Each cheesemaker has their own little segment of the booth with little tables. Very comfortable. It's a little like respite from the show. Okay. So tell okay. us, you know, for, for our listeners who aren't so familiar with Prairie Farms, what is Prairie Farms? What kinds of products are you doing Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, so Prairie Farms is a farmer-owned co-op that is out of the Midwest, and um, we are owned by about 920 farmers. Wow. Yeah. So uh, spanning through multiple states in the Midwest. Yes. Uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois, a um, little bit of Missouri, a little bit of Nebraska. Okay. So pretty sprawling. Um, and it has all different divisions. Um, so there is liquid milk, butter, cream cheese, there's going to be stuff that goes behind your deli case, and then your specialty cheese is going to be the Caves of Fairville brand. Here at the show, are you focusing on specific products, new products? Like how, That sounds like a ton of ground to cover. How are you making sense of it in your role on the sales side? Uh, for my role, I'm focusing on the affinage that um, the Caves of Fairville does. So I am working for that segment of Prairie Farms. And what we do is we partner up with a couple different creameries in Wisconsin, um, Maple Leaf and Edelweiss, and they make our cheeses, and then we age them in our sandstone caves in Minnesota. Wow. Sandstone. Interesting. Sandstone. Yeah, they're really great. Um, they're actually, they were originally used before Minnesota was a state to house beer for fur traders. I love that. You know, here in New York, we have the Crown Finish Caves, which does affinage, and they also were old beer lagering cellars. Yeah, originally, um, right after that, it became a brewery, which then uh, closed because of prohibition, mm. and a creamery moved in because, you know, beer and cheese tend to thrive in the same environment. Perfect. Well, yeah. I know they do in my own or in my own life. <laughs> They're my favorite pairing. <laughs> different farmers concentrate on different, um, you know, aspects of what we make. So you mean certain farmers' milk will go toward butter, certain Correct. farms will go toward cheese. So, and like, so for the case of Faribault, we only use, um, for, for our blue cheeses, we only use Minnesota milk. And we get it from one specific farm in the co-op. Mm. Um, for anything that we make that has the proud, proudly Wisconsin label, that all comes from the co-ops owned in Wisconsin. In order to be a member of their farms, there are certain things that they look for in milk and a certain standard that they have, mm. that the farmers have to keep that standard up. Um, and I also know, with that being said, we, they get a premium for the milk prices that we buy. I see. So you're paying... Paying more for milk that's of a higher quality than maybe the, the standard level of liquid milk. Correct. Now I'm here with Tom Torkelson of Nasonville Dairy. So you're here at the Fancy Food Show in New York. We're a ways from Wisconsin. 
And for our listeners who might not know your cheese, tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Nasonville. Nasonville Dairy is a family-owned business. Um, it's third generation right now. But actually, the plant was started in 1885. And it, part of the plant is still on the same location. It was a co-op all those years. And the Hyman family bought it from the co-op in 1969, I believe. Mm -hmm. And we operate now with about 175 dairy farmers. They're all within a 50-mile radius of the dairy plant. Wow, 175 different dairy farmers. You're buying their milk from how many miles? 50-mile radius? So um, we're in Wood County, and it's a... The county is a very good dairy-producing part of Wisconsin, and we do a lot of special things. We actually have some organic farmers, and we're doing some non-GMO products also, and um, kosher. You know, we're we're a fairly large plant, but we can do a lot of specialty products, and we cater to the needs of 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 different um, buyers and. We make so many different products that we can kind of be the one-stop shop. So, Tom, what are you doing specifically at Nasonville Dairy? I'm a, actually I'm a master cheese maker. I've been a master cheese maker since 2006. Um, I've been a licensed cheese maker since uh, uh, 19. I think it was 1981. 1980 something or other. Yeah, <laughs> way back when. So, um, I'm one of three master cheesemakers at Nasonville Dairy and there's um, we actually have one person that just enrolled in the program so we're kind of fortunate to have Ken Hyman who's who's one of the owning partners is a master cheesemaker and Brian Jackson and myself. Wow and this is the 25th anniversary of the master cheesemaker program I hear. It is and it's a you know it's a really it's a great program and you know being a cheesemaker um way back when in the 80s and that you couldn't get any information out of another plant or there's very few sources where you could find information and that landscape has so changed you know you can and the program itself just just by being in the program I learned so much about my own craft and I got to meet a lot of people in the industry that really um, are helpful and I know this master cheesemaker program in Wisconsin the, the, the people that are master cheesemakers now kind of formed a, a good little group and you know we help each other and we're, we're not uh, we're not as competitive I mean we want to see future generations um, you know do a lot with the dairy industry and you know Wisconsin is is winning awards all over the world anymore and um, it, it really says a lot for our commitment to the dairy industry and um, we're going to be on the top of the heap in the world someday. I really do feel that way. And it's it's just because of programs like this that further educate people in the industries. Was the Master Cheesemaker program always on your radar as something you wanted to take part in and wanted to do? Or how did you get the idea to embark upon the, the whole endeavor? Well, I was taking some courses down at the Center for Dairy Research just to learn some of the new things or, or be around the cutting edge of it and 
you know, the Master Cheesemaker program came out, a few people enrolled in it, and um, I was a little apprehensive because I didn't really know if I had what it would take to become a Master Cheesemaker, so I had to kind of uh, look at it a little bit, and then once I realized what the program was all about, I you know, jumped right in, and um, I'm probably going to do... I'm certified in uh, Rick and Munster and Cheddar and Gouda right now, and I, you know we're a large feta producing plant, and we put on a brand new um, feta manufacturing um, equipment just a couple years ago, and I actually probably understand feta more than any cheese out there anymore, so I think I'll have to get certified in that before I'm done. Good luck to you as you embark on that feta master cheesemaker certification there. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'm Mary Lindemann from Pine River Prepack in Newton, Wisconsin. I am the marketing director at Pine River. So, Mary, being a Wisconsinite, I know about cold pack cheese. I love it. I put it on all kinds of things. For any of our listeners who aren't as familiar with what a cold pack means, uh, do you want to go ahead and just explain the product for them? Cold pack cheese food, actually, is the, the term that you're familiar with, and so am I. Um, that's the highest level of cheese spread you can make. It has to have 51% dairy in it. So anything lower than that, they have to call it cheese spread or a cheese product. Um, so cheese food, cold pack, is the most cheese in the recipe. It also means when they say cold pack, it means it's not heated or pasteurized. And what does that do for the product? Well, when you heat anything, you it changes the, the texture and the flavor. So when you heat up cheese, it's going to change. So cold pack is unchanged. We take 40-pound blocks of grade-A cheddar from Wisconsin. We blend it with real butter from Wisconsin in a big grinder with actual um, dried whey, another of the dairy ingredients in our product. So it goes in this giant mixer. We get it to the proprietary amount of time <laughs> to make it the texture, and then that's what makes it smooth. And then it goes into the cups and then right into the coolers. So there's no heat involved at all. And I, I think that's the big secret about cold pack, no heat. Right, so it's a refrigerated product. It has sort of a shorter shelf life in that sense, shorter than the heat-treated versions. So my, one of the things I like to say when we're at this food show or anytime is spread beyond the cracker. <laughs> it doesn't have to always go on crackers. I could stand there and talk about every one of our flavors and show you another application where you can enjoy it because it melts nice. Let's say um, our aged Asiago is wonderful in macaroni and cheese. Mm. Our hot habanero is great on your nachos. You melt that down or add a little hamburger oh. or tur tur ground turkey, make a delicious um, nachos out of that. Looking at our spicy beer cheese, which is great on hot pretzels, or yes. actually stirred into tomato soup. Sounds weird, but it makes a delicious kind of a bisque. How many flavors of uh, your product, the cold pack, do you make? We make 16 flavors in our traditional line. And when I say that, I, it only differentiates we have five flavors that is our clean label. No preservatives, no artificial colors or flavors. And then the dairy fudge um, is a product that we make, and it is... Colby cheese, a very young cheese, and powdered sugar and cocoa. What doesn't sound better than that? It's unbelievably good. It's like it's like cake frosting. Yes. I, I don't know. I just love it. Here's a question. 16 flavors, that's a lot. How do you decide what flavors to make, and how often are you changing the flavors? That's a good question, because when you do come out with a new flavor, it's it, chances are it might cannibalize another one of the flavors. So we... We rarely add new flavors unless a customer requires it. We do a lot of custom blends. Mm -hmm. So that is where anything innovative will come in. We do watch trends. We attend 
numerous food shows and we do see what's out there. Right now, hotter, the spicier, the better. So we created a ghost pepper spread, which I have to have you sign a waiver before you even eat it. <laughs> so I, I don't even spread that one ahead of time for people to taste. I keep it kind of protected and safe. Um, it, it's just a matter of, I guess, Customer demand is more of how we add or subtract flavors. So you mentioned that you use grade A Wisconsin cheddar and real Wisconsin butter in the cold pack products. And you mentioned to me yesterday that the uh, Wisconsin cheddar is around a year old or so. Um, so there's a real development of flavor there. How do you source those products? There's a, well, Wisconsin's just known for such great cheeses. But we do have a factory that we go to, and I again, proprietary. <laughs> and we ask for specific pHs and moisture levels and age. And then we, we take it into our plant. We keep we store it in our warehouses, and we age it accordingly to what we want. Because now most people do think that cheese spread, oh, you just throw it in a grinder or a food processor and make it smooth and it's delicious. But actually, it's very scientific to use a variety of ages of the cheese so that you get consistency. If you take a young piece of cheese that I pulled and you rub it between your fingers, it's going to turn into little balls. So, and if you take an aged cheddar, like maybe two years, and you rub it between your fingers, it's going to turn into a paste. And that's the same thing that's going to happen with cheese spread. The too young is going to be kind of stiff and rubbery, like little balls. And if it's too old, it's going to be soupy and it's going to fall off your knife and it's just not going to have that just great. We dig a knife and it spreads so nice. Mm. So that's our secret. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this week's On Location show at the Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin booth at the Summer Fancy Food Show. If you're interested in learning more about any of the cheesemakers interviewed on today's episode, head to wisconsincheese.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week with more Cutting the Curd. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.